be 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. But also uh, we'll be looking at and reading a passage out of Psalm 51. Psalm 51 and also Hebrews chapter 12. So if you have markers and you can kind of get yourself ready, then you'll be able to turn to them. 2 Samuel 12, Psalm 51, Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be looking at passages from those places. I'll have some other verses uh, that I'll be quoting today. Those I'll have for the over, uh, on the overhead for you. So, they, But these will be the, the passages that you'll want to turn to with me so we can read them together. And um, what we'll be looking at here today is uh, the occasion in David's life when the Lord sent a prophet by the name of Nathan to bring conviction to David's heart concerning the sin that he had committed. And uh, so today's subject really is the conviction of the Lord uh, and how it ministers into the heart of believers. Let me pray now and then we'll get started in our study. Let's ask the Lord to bless this time. And so, Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to be here together, to worship you, Lord, and to study your word together. Lord, I want to thank you for really ministering to the men of our congregation as so many of them are gathered for this retreat this weekend, just kind of uh, taking time away so that they can seek you and draw near to you. And Lord, how you have ministered to our hearts and how you've encouraged the men and strengthened the men. And I pray, Lord, that they would come home safely, but Lord, not just safely, that they would come home spiritually changed and ministered to. Not just a a kind of a a momentary thing, Lord, but a real lasting uh, transformation as you make us into the men of God, as you call us to be men after your heart, just as David. And Lord, I pray also that you would speak to us now as we open the scripture together, Lord, so much of David's life speaks to even us today. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear those things that you long to say to our hearts now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me give you a little background of where David's life is when we come to chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. Most of you know the story of David's life. He was uh, just a wonderful young man that God raised up and eventually made king over the nation of Israel. He was a very blessed man, and God gave great favor upon David, and, and the, the nation prospered under David. David had, was a, ma- a man of war and conquest, and the nation was just blessed under his leadership and guidance. We know David to be the writer of many of the Psalms, and we see as we read the Psalms this intimate relationship that David had with the Lord. But it's come now to a season in David's life where he has kind of become comfortable in his place as king in the nation of Israel. And in so doing, he's beginning to make small compromises that are going to lead to some very significant compromises. And what we find here in chapter 11 is David actually sending his generals and, and, and men out to battle while he stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, normally David would go, would go out with his army. David was a great, mighty man of valor, a warrior, and, and understood battle and, and managing, managing his troops. But in this season, we see him kind of taking ease, and he sends his men out without him. And during that time that he's back in Jerusalem, kind of idle, he happens to be up on his rooftop of his palace overlooking the city, and he happens to look down upon a woman 
that is bathing and he lusts after this woman. Her name is Bathsheba. He inquires about this woman. Turns out she's married to one of his high-ranking military men by the name of Uriah. But nevertheless, David brings her to his palace and has relations with her and she becomes pregnant. Now David doesn't know what to do. He's committed adultery with this woman. There's going to be evidence of it as she is now with child. And so he conspires to try and get Uriah to come home and have relations with his wife. So that would cover kind of his indiscretion. But Uriah is a man of great honor and he's unwilling to sleep with his wife while his men are out on the field. So he simply stays at the king's palace. Well, David uh, is now really kind of panicking, and so he sends Uriah back to the military uh, campaign, and he has his generals withdraw the troops, but leaving Uriah exposed. And Uriah is killed on the battlefield, David actually having him murdered in order to cover what he has done uh, with Bathsheba. And David has done his best to cover this sin. It's a place of compromise for David. And as we come now to chapter 12, uh, now about a year has gone by because now the child is born. And David has seemingly covered this transgression. Everything seems to be okay. The kingdom continues to be kind of moving forward. Uriah is gone, so no one can contest the birth of this child. And so David seems to have made... Everything okay, except that the Lord has seen what has taken place, and the Lord is displeased. Now, you're there, and I'll join you in a moment in Second Samuel. But let me quote this Psalm 32, because David would later comment on this season of his life, wherein he was trying to cover and keep his sin silent. He said this in Psalm 32 in verse 3, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. David was covering things on the outside pretty well, but on the inside there was turmoil. In his own heart the Spirit of God was heavy upon him. You see, this is often the way the Lord begins to work in our lives when He's trying to bring us back to to light, back to truth. He begins to stir something in our own hearts. And David said, I was keeping this silent, I was keeping this covered, but the hand of God was heavy upon me, taking away even my vitality and my strength, my joy, all that that David knew of of the relationship that he had with God, all of that was had been quenched because he's living in this secret sin. And now, in that setting, because David has resisted that heavy hand of the Lord speaking in his conscience, now God is getting ready to turn up the volume. And this is what we discover in chapter 12. You're there. Now just look back at the very last verse of chapter 11, and that will kind of give us the thought introducing into chapter 12. And when her mourning was over, that is Bathsheba mourning the death of her husband, Uriah, who David had murdered. David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. It looks like all is well. David has covered this. His strategy has worked. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Chapter 12, verse 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. 
God saw what went down, and God was not pleased with David covering. God was not pleased with what he had done, nor was he pleased with his conspiracy to cover it. And the heavy hand was not working in David's heart. He was resisting that. He was fighting that. And so now the Lord sends a prophet to knock on his door. One of the things I want you to to recognize as we look through these passages today is that conviction is not our enemy. Conviction is not something to be resisted and fought against and avoided at all cost. Conviction comes from the Lord. And the Lord only wants to do good. The Lord only wants to help. The Lord only wants to heal and to rescue and to guide us and to protect us. Bullet point number one about conviction. Conviction comes from the Lord. And that is not to be resisted in the life of believers. That is to be welcomed. And God is the one that sends this prophet. God is the one who has been heavy of hand upon David's heart, suppressing his joy and and, and trying to bring him to a place of honesty. But he has fought it. He has kicked against it. He's had many opportunities to make things right. As I said, now the child is born. This is a year later, and David is living under this, this secrecy. The Lord sends Nathan the prophet. Now pick it up with me there again in verse 1. And let's read the account. And he came to him, and he said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup. And it lay in his bosom and it was like a daughter to him. Verse 4. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Verse 5, so David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. And so the conviction of the Lord finds its mark. In David's heart. I imagine when David heard that, it hit him like a hammer. Nathan comes to him and speaks in a parable. David does not realize it's a parable. David thinks this is a literal account of something that has gone on in his kingdom. And boy, he wants justice. And he says, that man, whoever that man was, he should be put to death after he restores the lamb that he took from this one poor man. Because he did this, which was wrong, and he had no pity. David, you are that man. It reminds us of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even, even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. When God's Word finally comes to us in clarity, it finds its mark, and this little parable finds its way right into the truth of David's sin. David, you are the man. David is enraged. 
about this story. David hears this parable, and he's just so upset. And you, you know, you kind of wonder why. Why did the Lord have Nathan give this to him in parable? He could have easily just come and told him what had, had happened, but he says it in a parable. I think to solicit something of David's sense of conscience. David knows this isn't right. This is unjust. And isn't it amazing how clearly we can see sin on others and yet so blind sometimes to the sin in our own life? You know, Jesus said, before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, why don't you take the beam, the log that's in your own eye? Then you'll be able to see a little more clearly of this, you know, what you've seen and recognized in others. I think the Lord is purposefully bringing, drawing David's heart out in this because he knows that David is blind to his own sin and yet still can recognize injustice when he sees it. And sin is easier to identify in others. And by the way, it always looks worse on others than it does on ourselves, doesn't it? That's horrible. Well, you do the same thing. Well, yeah, but when I do it, it's, I don't know, it just doesn't seem as bad, right? But on others, we're very critical. And so God uses this parable to draw him out. And when David sees in this other man is a reflection of himself, and it must have, it must have been quite a surprise, this, this, this uh, lack of pity, this Injustice that this man in his mind had done, and yet it was his own life. And this is the truth concerning compromise and sin. You know, when you, when you give place to it and you don't get it right and you continue to follow the trail that it often leads you on and spirals you down, you come to a place that you never imagined you could be. David would have never imagined that this story could have been about him. But you wake up one day and you see the reflection, the truth of where you are, and you say, my God, what has happened? What have I become? This is the path of compromise and sin, taking you to a place you never dreamed of, turning you into a person you never imagined you could be. And so David finds himself confronted now with the conviction of God delivered to him by the prophet Nathan through the parable of the rich and the poor man. My bullet point, number two, for conviction would be this, that God uses a variety of ways to convict our hearts. At first, it was the the hand of the Lord on David's heart, that heavy hand of conviction, the Holy Spirit looking to speak to him. But he rejected that, he refused that, and so now God sends a prophet. And he says it in the form of a parable to kind of open David's heart up, and then it hits hits its mark. This has certainly been true in my life. I think probably if you were honest, you would say, you know, the Lord has used a variety of ways to get my attention in my walk with Him. Sometimes it is just that still, small voice of His Spirit speaking into my heart. I'll say something, and then almost right after I say it, the Holy Spirit will say, that should not have been said, and, oh, Lord, you're right. A thought, an attitude, a reaction. And then here comes the Holy Spirit to kind of prompt our heart and and guide us and get us back on course. And so it's best to respond to that early warning of the Holy Spirit, that early uh, ministry of God's Spirit to to gently guide you and correct you and repent and you get your heart right. But the Lord can use other means as well. Sometimes, uh, you know, the Lord will speak to me from the Scripture. 
I'll find myself reading through a passage and all of a sudden it just speaks right into my life. And it's like, oh, Lord, you just put your finger on something in my own heart. And I'm busted, you know. And I wish I hadn't read that this morning. I wish I'd been somewhere else. But you, you calling me out, God. And the Word of God comes to life off the page. Sometimes through a message. Sometimes you hear a sermon. And God uses that sermon to speak to your heart. You hear a a Bible teaching on the radio. I've been in the car with tears coming down my eyes because God is just drilling me through the radio. As I hear His Word coming into my heart. Sometimes you'll see it on others. This has happened to me as well. I see uh, something in somebody else that I notice as a real character flaw. And then the Holy Spirit says, yeah, you do the same thing. Really? I act like that? (laughs) But the Lord will speak to us. Sometimes those very things that we see and we realize are not right. We know also the Holy Spirit says, that's what I'm trying to get at in your life. You know, I was at a, uh, this is many years ago while I was leading worship at uh, Calvary Chapel La Mirada. And uh, during lunch, where I was working, a number of us would often go out to a local food court and have lunch. You know, I was working in business. And uh, one evening, after uh, being out at the food court, and then later that night at church, I had a brother come up to me and say, You know, the Lord really used you today to um, convict me. And I said, How so? I was at work all day. He said, Yeah, but weren't you at such and such food court at such and such time? Yeah, I was. He said, well, you didn't see me, but I saw you. And he said, in that, in, that, in that moment of my life, I was contemplating doing something very sinful. And I was wrestling with something, and I was about to make a foolish decision. And then I saw you at the food court. And I recognized you as the worship leader from church. And the Lord just used that to kind of snap me out of it and bring me back to the reality that, you know, I can't do this. So the Lord used you while you were at the food court. You didn't even know it, but God was speaking to my heart. So God can use a variety of ways. You ever seen someone and brought, it brought back and jarred something in your own spirit? That phone call you didn't expect or, or someone saw you, that, that chance encounter, and God has used it to somehow speak and, and stir something up in your heart. The point is God is looking at any angle, any way that he can reach our heart. And we need to be open to that hand of God. We need to let the Lord speak to us. We need to welcome these things. David, and you don't don't turn, but I'll have this for you. Psalm 139. David, he's resisting this heavy hand. He's fighting against this. But later in David's life, listen to his prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. David David would learn to welcome that conviction of the Lord. And he would actually invite it. He would actually look for it to be early in his missteps. Don't Lord, don't let me get too far down this path. Lord, even even now, even if I'm not aware, you search me. You know my heart. Lord, you bring to light those things that will lead me in the way that is everlasting. Conviction is something that can be welcomed in the believer's life. It's something that God uses to protect. God uses to keep us on course. Well, after the parable, Nathan will now explain the parable in great detail. Uh, Much like Jesus, often he would speak in parables and then later he would explain the meaning of the parable. Now Nathan is going to lay out the truth of David's situation very clearly. Pick it up with me again in verse 7. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, 
I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. You've killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Verse 10, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. David, you are the rich man who had no pity on the poor man. You were the rich man because I made you the rich man. I blessed you. I I found you just a shepherd boy in Bethlehem and raised you up to be king. I replaced Saul and gave you his throne and delivered you from him. And I set you over the whole house of Israel and Judah. I called you to lead and shepherd my people, the leader of my nation. And David, I I would have given you much more. I wasn't finished in my blessing and and honoring you and, and your life. But you, you have despised my command and you have killed Uriah, the poor man. And you've taken his wife, his one precious lamb. The Lord, when he brings conviction to the heart, he always brings the truth. Bullet point number three about conviction. Conviction always brings truth. God does not hide or hedge or put something in the best possible light or make excuse or kind of, it's okay. God brings the truth. And this is how you can identify the Holy Spirit when He's ministering to you. He'll always speak the truth. He doesn't doesn't need to make things up. He can speak directly into what's going on in our life. David, you've sinned against the Lord, and you've done evil in His sight. He sees, He knows, nothing is hidden. This is not some partial revelation. God comes with the full story. And and He's not looking for David's rationale. He's not looking for excuses or, or, or to negotiate at this point. Conviction does not come so that we can negotiate with the Lord. Conviction comes to bring truth and light into our heart, into the inner man. No comparing with others, well, I'm better than so-and-so, or justifying because of the reasons that I did. And, and you, know, you can just imagine what David might have said. Well, you know, I was kind of tired. I've done all this fighting for you, and I just took a little break. There's nothing wrong with taking a little break. And I can't help it if this beautiful woman was out bathing on her roof. What was she doing out there anyway? And, you know, and the story goes on, right? And people die in war every day. Uriah got killed. All of this deflecting. That's kind of the way we're wired, right? Adam, what have you done? Well, Lord, the woman that you gave me, that's why I did what I did. Eve, what have you done? Well, the serpent, he deceived me. It's not my fault. It's never our fault. 
But when conviction comes, and God puts His finger on something in your heart, it is your fault. You've sinned against the Lord. You've done something that you knew God asked you not to do, or you've not done something that you knew the Lord commanded you to do. When the Lord brings conviction, He brings everything into the light, nothing is left in the shadows. You've sinned against the Lord. You've sinned against the Lord who has treated you good and treated you right. It's painful. This kind of conviction is painful. But it's needful. It's hard, but it's necessary. If we're going to walk in honesty and integrity with the Lord, we have to allow Him to speak truth to our hearts without any excuse, without any deflecting. Lord, search me and know me. And put, uh, put your finger on whatever needs to be dealt with in my life. David also announces the discipline that will come. Excuse me, Nathan announces the discipline that will come to David as a result of this sin. He said, David, uh, your house is going to have trouble going forward. You're going to reap what you have sown. You have sown in lust. And you will reap lust as your son lusts after his sister and rapes her. We know this would come to pass. You have sown murder. One of your sons will rise up in revenge and murder another one of your sons. You will reap murder in your own family. You have sown this adultery in secret, but your wives will be taken and defiled in public. Absalom. Putting his, putting his bed on the top of the palace, committing adultery with David's wives to shame him. You have sowed in conspiracy to save your kingdom. You've tried to save your image, but God, through conspiracy, will bring your rebellion into the open and into the light of day. Church, sin oftentimes brings consequences. I'm so thankful for the grace of God. I'm so thankful for the mercy of God and the patience and the long-suffering of God. But I also recognize that some decisions bring consequence. And David, who has been entrusted with much, he is a leader of God's nation. To whom much is given, much is required. And David, with all of this and all of this prominence that he has in the nation, God is going to discipline him. And I think that it's important for us to remember that that grace is not something that we should turn into license. Paul said, you know, the grace of God is so wonderful. What then? Should we sin all the more so that grace may abound all the more? God forbid, he said. No, sin, uh, grace is not to be taken advantage of. I want to read a passage to you out of Jude verse 4. And I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation because I, I think it's helpful in understanding this point. Some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago for they have denied our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. God's grace is given as a remedy for sin, not an opportunity to sin. And some, have, have they, they want grace just to kind of be their, their, their covering. I want to sin, but God's merciful, He'll forgive me. 
I want to spend a little time in the world. I just kind of take a detour here. And I'll be back, Lord, but you know, I'm just going to go and do my thing. And then I'm going to come back and appeal to your grace. Bible says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. What a man sows, he will reap. Now, God may forgive. God does forgive. God promises to forgive a sincere return. But there are also oftentimes consequences for those little detours. Some of you live with them today. And God often will bring discipline to his children. I want to quote to you. You're there in Hebrews 12. Open it up with me there. And let's take a look at God's comments on discipline. My son, do not despise the chastening. I'm in Hebrews 12, verse 5. Hebrews 12, verse 5. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. As Nathan brings this understanding to David, David, not only have you sinned, but there are going to be consequences as a result of your sin because of the leadership place that you held. God is going to deal with you. And this brings me to my kind of number four bullet point on conviction. Oftentimes conviction brings with it understanding. David now is going to understand some of the consequences that it's going to take place as a result of this sin. And that understanding will help him. That knowledge that God is using this discipline to correct him will help him bear it. It won't be a confusion. God, why? What's happening? He will know. Lord, this is what I need to correct me. This is, what I, this is needful for me to become transformed into the man you want me to be. And God disciplines His children. God disciplines those that are His own. Can you imagine a family where the children are never disciplined? Where the children just do whatever they want and there's no consequence, there's no boundaries, there's no discipline. They just do whatever they want and the family just lets them do, the parents are just letting them do whatever they like. Now maybe you know some families like that. Maybe you've seen what that looks like. But that's not the way God runs His house. God does provide boundaries. God God does weave in consequences to the decisions that we make. This does not affect His ability to forgive you. This does not affect your, your eternal soul and salvation with Him and the future and the hope. But it does mean that God will allow chastening to come and buffet your life. So why? To, to help you. Don't you know you need it? Don't you know we all need it? To reject it, to despise it, is to be illegitimate. It's to say, I don't want to be your child. I want to do whatever I want, and I just want you to forgive me when I'm done. 
That's not a real father-son relationship or father-daughter relationship. And David is finding this out. And God, who still loves David, is working in his life for his good. Take a look with me, verse 13. Let's take a look at David's response. The word comes. The truth has hit him. So David, David said to Nathan, I'm sorry, I'm back in 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel 12. Look with me, verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. No excuses. No deflecting. No hiding. The word comes to his heart and he says, I've sinned. And what are the very next words out of the prophet's mouth? The Lord has put away your sin. This is the moment of truth. This is where this is all that God was looking for, an honest heart in his servant who was hiding and pretending and, and covering and scheming and plotting and, and trying to manage it all to protect his own image and what others thought of him and his kingdom and his spiritual reputation. But the moment he said, I've sinned, the Lord says, and I've forgiven you. And that's the beauty of conviction. It's to bring us to a place of confession leading to forgiveness. That's point number five. If you're keeping notes on your bullet points for conviction, conviction produces confession unto forgiveness. And that's, the, that's, why con, that's why conviction is to be welcomed in the believer's life, so that we can confess and be forgiven. Not hide and run, and I don't want to hear that, and don't tell me that, because then you're just kidding yourself. Remember this passage, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants to forgive. God is longing to extend His mercy. But if you say you have no sin, and that's where David was. I, I got it together. Everything's okay. When you're saying that, you're only deceiving yourself. You may fool some others for a season, but God is never fooled. And God sees it and God knows it and God is trying to bring David and He's trying to bring us oftentimes to a place where we will simply say, Amen. Nathan says, You've sinned against the Lord. David says, I've sinned against the Lord. And the very next words on the prophet's lips, And the Lord has removed your sin. Once you acknowledge it, once you confess it, that's why First John uh, uh Excuse me, One nine says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us. He's faithful. He will do it. You can depend on God's forgiveness. Well, I don't know. I don't know if He'll forgive me. I want to confess. I want to be honest. I don't know if He will. The Bible says He is faithful to cleanse you of your sin. It's not anchored on whether you, know, you deserve it or not. It's not dependent upon how many times you've asked Him to forgive you for this particular thing. It's dependent upon Him and His faithfulness. 
He says, if you will confess sincerely your sin before me, I am faithful. I will certainly forgive you. And not only faithful, but just. God doesn't have to compromise His justice. God doesn't have to compromise His character. He doesn't have to kind of pretend it didn't happen. God can justly forgive you because of what Jesus Christ has done for you at the cross. Your sins have been paid for at Calvary. God can justly forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. God is willing and wanting to forgive, but He will not forgive an unrepentant, unconfessed heart. He will not forgive you if you say, I don't need forgiveness. I got it together. It's okay. It's not that bad. I'm managing it. I can handle it. I'm not sinning. I see others doing it. They're, they're, I'm better than them. You know, all the things. And that, that, listen, you're living in a deception. But when you come and confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive. I want you, you're there in Psalm 51. I hope you've bookmarked that. I, I want you to turn there now. I want you to see David's expanded confession. We see there with Nathan, he simply says, I've sinned against the Lord. But he would write of this experience in Psalm 51. You'll see a little more of the depth of David's confession and repentance. In Psalm 51, if you'll notice right there at the heading, it tells us who wrote it and when, right? You see that there in your Bible? It says, to the chief musician, a psalm of David when? When Nathan the prophet went to him and he had gone into Bathsheba, after he had gone into Bathsheba. This is the psalm David wrote after Nathan's confrontation. Have mercy, verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. That's a great confidence David has in God's mercy. Verse 8, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. God's hand has been heavy upon him for many, many months. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not 
despise. This is the expanded version of David's confession. And you can see it is a complete acknowledgement of his sin, but it is also a, an appeal to his mercy. Better than rationalizing, better than making excuses, better than trying to negotiate with the Lord, really our best option is to cast ourselves upon his mercy. To be honest in the inward man and to just trust the Lord to cleanse me and to, and to restore me and to create in me a clean heart. And to renew a steadfast spirit. And God does not desire sacrifice or burnt offering. God's not looking for you to, to get really busy with religious works to help make up for what's gone on. God's not interested in that. What God wants is your heart, a broken spirit, an honest heart, a surrendered heart. Lord, I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. That's what God is looking for. And these things God will not despise. He will not turn away. That honest, sincere confession. Back with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We'll finish up here as we look at these final verses in the chapter. The emphasis now is upon the grace of God that will come to David. Picking up in 2 Samuel 12 verse 14. David, you're going to have this trouble. God has forgiven you. God has cleansed you and taken away your sin. Verse 14. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted, went in, and lay all night on the ground. And so the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they, answered, and they said, He is dead. Verse 20, So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. And then he went into his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. And then his servants said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him, Solomon. And he went, and he sent word by the hand of Nathan, the same prophet, Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Jedidiah meaning beloved of the Lord. 
They have this child Solomon and God sends Nathan to rename him Jedidiah because he is loved of God. And what we see here now is David's relationship with the Lord being restored. It doesn't come without discipline. It doesn't come without consequence. But it does come with mercy and grace and forgiveness and restoration. David is praying and he's fasting. And, he, and, and when they ask him, why, you know, why were you praying and fasting so intently while he was alive? And David said, well, who knows? Maybe the Lord will be gracious to me. Pretty presumptuous, don't you think, David, after all this, you're still wanting God to show and extend some kind of grace to you concerning this child? But remember what the scripture says about David, that he was a man after God's own heart. David knew the Lord to be gracious. David knew the Lord to be merciful. And David, even in this dark moment of his life, maybe the darkest, is still crying out, God, I know you're a gracious and merciful God. If there's a way, Lord, for this to pass, he cries out to the Lord. It tells something of David's, not not what he deserved, but of his confidence in the mercy and grace of God. God does not answer this prayer. Nathan the prophet told David, you know what, David, your sin, you've caused even the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme my name. Your sin has been such a terrible witness to the nations around. Even they are now saying that God, there is no God in Israel. You see, God has to make example of David because of his prominence. Lest all of us throughout history say, well, David got away with it. Why can't I? David sinned without consequence. Surely we could expect the same. You see, to whom much is given, much is required. Remember Moses. Moses was set something of an example. Sometimes we see that. We think, well, pretty harsh. But God is doing it not only to discipline the individual, but to discipline the nation and the peoples that will come and the generations to follow as we look to these men as the examples that God raised up. And so God deals with David in this chastising, but we see something of David's heart. Once he's confessed his sin, once he's been forgiven, he is now completely cast himself upon the mercy and the grace of God. And when the child passes, David gets up, he cleans himself, he takes his shower, he goes into the temple of the Lord, and he worships. My guess guess is, it had been a long time since David had been in the house of the Lord to worship. Certainly to worship in sincerity and truth. David is restored. This is a hard lesson, but David's life is aligned again with God. And listen to his statement of faith. Concerning the child, I shall go to him. He will not return to me, but I will go with him. David knew that there was something beyond this life, and he knew that his son was there. He knew that his son had gone to be with the Lord, and he knew that he would see the Lord. I'll be reunited with him because I'm renewed now in my relationship with God. He's forgiven me of my sin, and I am going to be with him eternally. And it is a statement of faith and confidence. And David's spiritual life is restored. Yes, there would be consequence. Yes, there would be trial. But he would walk through those trials in right relationship with the Lord. And that makes all the difference. Going through trials is something all of us will face. Going through them without God is really tough. Going through them with God makes it uh, bearable. 
It makes all the difference because God can work even difficult things together for good to those that love Him, to those that are called according to His purpose. David's faith is renewed. He's able to now move forward. He's moving forward. He now goes back to Bathsheba, comforts her, and a son is born. And what a picture of God's grace. Now, Nathan, the prophet who came to tell him of his sin and consequence, now comes to tell him, this son is blessed of God. Here's this relationship that should have never been. Here's this relationship that was forged in sin. But now that there has been confession and hearts have been made right, God says there's blessing. The grace of God. Able to take a disaster and still bring comfort and good and help. My final bullet on conviction. Conviction ultimately, when responded to, results in restoration. It results in restoration. That's what God is after. God wants us to walk with Him. And listen, conviction is a way of life for the Christian. Do you imagine that you will arrive some, to some place in this life wherein you will no longer need the Lord's convicting in your heart? The Lord will look at you and say, Wow, you're perfect. We're all done. You've made it. You've arrived. There will always be some shaping of the clay. There will always be some fine-tuning. There will always be this work of the Holy Spirit convicting and prodding and guiding and helping. And for the believer, we welcome it. Lord, keep me together. I don't let me get off derail. Lord, you keep my course on course. And welcoming that work of the Spirit of God, it's a healthy part of the spiritual life for believers. Not something to be run and afraid of, but rather to be welcomed and aligned with. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the life of David and his example to us. Lord, we can find great instruction here today. Lord, David was a a man after your own heart. Lord, we read the Psalms and we see such a wonderful worship life and devotion life that he had, and yet he fell. And it reminds all of us, Lord, that we too have fallen. We too, Lord, in, in our best of efforts, have still missed the mark on more than one occasion. And yet, Lord, as David fell as greatly as he did, we also see that you restored him. You restored him. You forgave him. You brought him back into right relationship with you. And, Lord, that brings a sense of hope and encouragement to us. Lord, if you can, if you can bring David through such an ordeal and love him and forgive him and cleanse him and he can come into your temple and worship you, Lord, then, then Lord, there's hope for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us to be sensitive to your conviction, to the guiding of your Holy Spirit, that we would be quick to repent, Lord, that we would not allow ourselves this living in the shadows and imagining that somehow we can manage and get away, Lord, that we would come quickly to the throne of grace and receive that grace and help that, that is available through the, to the honest heart. And as our heads are bowed here today and we... We close. I do want to give opportunity if you're here today and need to respond to the word of the Lord. It may be that you are here today and you do not know the Lord personally. You've never come to faith in Jesus. 
But the Lord is speaking to your heart, and, and you know even now that you need, you need that forgiveness. You need to come and confess before Him and say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and, and I want to just come and acknowledge I'm a sinner, and I need you to cleanse me and to come into my life. I'd love to pray for you if that's your heart today. Maybe, maybe others here, you need to come back to the Lord. Rededicate your life to Him. It may be that you, like David, you, you know the Lord, but you're living, you're living in the shadows. You're living in a place of compromise. You're not walking with Him, and the Lord's hand has been heavy upon you. But today, you know that He's speaking to you, and you want to get your life right. You want to come back to Jesus. I'd love to pray for you too. So if you're here today and you need the Lord Jesus for the very first time, or you want to rededicate, recommit your life to Him, Will you raise your hand where you're seated? Let me see you, and I'm going to pray for you. Bless you over here on my left. Right, a couple over here on the right, up front, balcony, a couple hands. Lord bless you. The center here as well. Very back, God bless you, man. You, sir, as well on my right. number of hands here today. Lord speaking to you. You, sir, I see you, and ma'am on, the, on my left. Oh, He loves you. When His hand is heavy upon you, it's because He's trying to rescue you. He's trying to save you. Anyone else, just before I pray for these that have responded, you serve as well. Just before I pray, anyone else? And so, Lord, I do thank you for these hearts responding to your word today. Lord, we do our best to try and uh, deflect and kind of justify and rationalize. It's just kind of the way we are, Lord, but we recognize that you see through all of that. And Lord, it's, it's not because you, you want to leave us in that condition of guilty, but you want us to acknowledge honestly our guilt before you so that you can forgive us, so that you can cleanse us. And so for these that have responded today, Lord, I pray that this would be, just as it was for David, a moment of truth, where the, wherein the moment, the instant they confess their sin, so you forgive them of their sin. Lord, we would pray, Jesus, cleanse us and forgive us. We don't deserve it, but you love us, and we're putting our trust in your mercy and your grace. And so cleanse these hearts, Lord, and fill them with hope today. May they, as David felt, Lord, a a sense of cleansing, a, a sense of returning to a real spiritual life of worship and confidence and a place of clean and light and, and Lord, just unbroken fellowship with you. Save, Lord, today and heal and redeem and rescue. And, Lord, have your way in our lives and hearts, we pray in Jesus' name.